sit and join the shade. Hey, brother, pour the wine. Drink the drink that I have made. Hey, brother, pour the wine. Good evening. Happy Sunday. Welcome to Drink in the Style, brought to you by Habitation Furnishing and Design in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm your host, Gregory Rich. I'm going to help you kill your Sunday early evening with some booze and conversation. Tonight, my guest is from Interiors by Holly, Holly Walgamuth. Walgamuth? Walgamuth. Walgamuth. Sorry. <laughs> Didn't go that great. Is with us. Holly, welcome to Drink in the Style. Thank you. What kind of name is Walgamuth? German. Oh. In okay. Germany, it would be Walgamuth. Which actually is a lot easier to say than Walgamuth. I know. Have you considered right? using the German pronunciation? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was going to consider using my maiden name and never changing it, but apparently my dad was kind of notorious in the Twin Cities, so I got rid of it. Really? Yeah. Oh, this is an interesting so, subject. So, what's the maiden name? Morit. Oh, I don't and know that one. Much easier. Yeah. And what was he notorious for? Um, let's just say I went to go fight a parking ticket and the judge told me asked me if I was related and I asked him <laughs> if he was going to hold it against me and he said biggest do you want me to say it? Yes. Asshole I've ever met in my whole life. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> in a courtroom full of people. Your own father was besmirched. Yeah. Wow. And it was shortly before I got married. In fact, I asked that judge to um, give us away. <laughs> oh, seriously? <laughs> well, he knew my parents because he had done their divorce, and I thought he was hysterical. <laughs> Divorce my parents, now please marry me. <laughs> Oh, this is going to be a good show. I have a feeling this is going to go really well, especially when we get some booze in uh, in our systems. Speaking of which, Dan, our coctologist, sitting behind the table, how are you? I'm good. Glad to hear it. Mm-hmm. What are you making tonight? So uh, we're just going to go with a classic uh, vodka martini, which, although it sounds simple, there's actually a couple things that are, if not done, they're fundamentally wrong. And, of course, uh, to all the Karens and Beckys in the world, Tito's. <laughs> the Karens do love Tito's. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves yeah. I, I'm opposed to Tito's. It's a perfectly good vodka, but it's so overexposed, and I'm so tired of it being, like, the default. Well, I, get a, I get a really good price. Oh, all right. Well, I, I support anything that comes out of Austin, so. Fair enough. Fair but enough. it's gluten-free, too. It oh. is gluten-free. Crystal Ray at the showroom at Habitation is gluten intolerant. She will not abide gluten. And uh, we keep it. Handy. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so you totally lucked out. Mm-hmm. So just a side snippet that anything distilled more than three times is actually gluten-free. And it is by law. Every cocktail, or every spirit needs to be distilled a minimum of three times. Really? But that's just science. So you're saying every spirit is gluten-free? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Definitely I've, true. I've, like- I've had people try to argue with this one. I'll, I'll pull out Google if I have to, but uh, it's science. One, once, once three times distilled, it's, it's all gone. That and and everything. So every so alcohol is gluten free is what you're proposing. You saying that it doesn't matter what it is if it's a spirit, if it's sold in America, if it's it, legit, the, it's gluten free. The, the FDA FDA requires three times uh, distilled. That's like when they when they advertise three times distilled. It's like oh it's cool it's a marketing ploy because the law says you have to. How interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to make Crystal Ray try this out then. And if she drops dead, I'm going to call and say you owe her an apology and you need to find me a new designer. All right. So we're going to make a vodka martini. Brett, you want to hit the mixing music? Beautiful. Take us away. So one of the most important things about a vodka martini is uh, here in the Midwest, nobody wants vermouth. 
Mm-hmm. So you always got to shake the living daylights out of it. And you don't double strain either because you want those little chunks of, of ice on top. So typically, you want to bruise the ice, like shake the living crap out of it. Okay. And then, of course, uh, dirtier citrus is the first question. Uh, we're going dirty today. And then after that, I ask, do you like a little bit dirty or do you like swamp water? Swamp water will give it that color green that you can't quite see through and it takes away the translucence of the vodka. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that salty goodness makes it delicious. Umami, to say. No, that's uh, that's actually My wife is a big fan of a dirty martini. I actually recently have started switching over to uh, lemon zest instead of an olive. I, I like the citrus zest as well, but I figure this is more palatable for drinking in an afternoon scenario. Excellent call. Excellent call. And plus, I haven't eaten anything today, so I think the brine uh, water will provide some much more calories. I have extra olives for you, Greg. <laughs> Thanks. All right, so you've added it in. I, you, I, I see no vermouth of any kind. That, that's for gin. People don't want, people will say super dry. Uh, they just, they don't want any vermouth. So we are going basically, basically you're just serving vodka. Shaken. Not Shaken. stirred. Not. And this is keto too, right? Yes. Okay. As long as you're okay with salt. Well, that's an excellent call. All right, so you've mixed up basically the vodka, you've driven the temperature down, you've injected the ice crystals, and you are pouring it. Did you add the... Uh, it doesn't look too swampy to me. Oh, I didn't add the olive juice. Well, that's a substantial problem. No, that's fine. All right, you're going to you add don't, it You don't afterwards. have to shake olive juice. It's not a big deal. All right, in that case, I'm going to skip the olive juice. We'll have Holly. She can have mine. <laughs> that's so nice of you, Craig. I'm going to give her. always have been. <laughs> and then you're using, by the way, the, the very popular bamboo pick as opposed to the traditional toothpick or the dreaded plastic. So, do you have any interest in that? Does that matter to you at all? Ooh, sorry, I just poured a bunch of olive juice on my leg. <laughs> I have a long day to go today. <laughs> all right. So, this one's yours, Greg. And I'm sorry, what did you say? I just got completely soaked. We were talking about the uh, the, the picks. This is the bamboo-twisted uh, uh, cocktail pick as yes. opposed to the traditional wood or the dreaded plastic. Or dreaded plastic, yeah. Do you think that has any impact at all on the cocktail, or is that a myth? No, it's a myth. It's just sustainable. You feel better about drinking it. Yeah, good point. Although you do lose the ability to kind of poke at things with the little plastic sword. Hey, you can still get some out of your teeth with these bad boys. That's a good point. All right. We have our martinis prepared. That was quick. That was easy. And again, I mean, basically, we're just drinking vodka. Uh, Pinky up. Salud. Let's, if we must. Brett, we'll get yours in just a quick (laughs) second. Tito's, here we go. Mm. It's good. It's vodka. Mm-hmm. And it's Tito's vodka. You need <laughs> olive juice. <laughs> a little olive juice. I've got the olives in there. Usually, so I always have you, you nailed it. I always go with two olives when I do do olives. Concept being the first olive is to prep the palate. Second olive is to basically just flavor the drink, and then my wife gets it when we're, when we're done. I actually learned how to drink from a, a 90-year-old woman called Patio, and I used to drink uh, Gimlet's. Okay. And I preferred olives in my gimlet because every, every you know, three, four, five sips, I want that salinity to kind of clear my palate out and get going again. Which is a good call. Do you know the history of the name gimlet? I do not. The, this is, I've, I've never, I've always meant to research this, but this is the story I was told. It was named for Ambassador John Gimlet, who was the U.S. ambassador to France in the early 19th, late 18th century. And he did not drink because he was a Puritan. But you could not conduct affairs in France at, a, at an affair of state if you did not have alcohol 
in your hand. So he would literally just have himself uh, pour a glass of water, drop in some kind of, at that time, some kind of, of, uh, of uh, fruit or, or item, and tell everyone that it was alcoholic. Hmm. And they came to view it as a gimlet, or they named it a gimlet. Hmm. Yeah, so well, it's built on a lie. Well, back then, though, I mean, like, you know, lime and scurvy were synonymous with helping each other out. Absolutely true. And, you know, I'm a big fan of lime in my cocktails, and my record doesn't lie. I have never once had scurvy. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back with Holly Vagamut, <laughs> we're going to be talking about interior design. Stick with us. Pretty face, I know a swinging place. Come on, dance with me. Romance with me on a crowd. This is Gregory Rich, founder of Habitation Furnishing and Design and host of Drink in the Style every Sunday at 5 p.m. You know, on the radio program, I often say that life is the big stuff, but living is in the details. The furniture in your home may be details, but that's where you do the living. So why not speak to one of Habitation's design professionals about making your space the best it can be? Habitation, 4317 Excelsior Boulevard in St. Louis Park. Did you know that Habitation Furnishing and Design has the area's largest selection of Noir and CFC furniture? Are you familiar with them? I once had a customer describe Noir as a cross between restoration hardware and Beetlejuice. I love that. And CFC, bench-made furniture out of the heart of California, is definitionally cool. In any event, check out the lines at NoirFurnitureLA.com and then swing into the store and check them out in person. Habitation Furnishing and Design, one mile east of Highway 100 on Excelsior Boulevard. Just in time, I found you just in time Before you came, my time was running low Welcome back to Drinking the Style, a one-hour conversation about art, architecture, design, pretty much anything else, aesthetic. I'm your host, Gregory Rich, and my guest this week is Frau Holly Wagmut. From Interiors by Holly. I really like saying it with a German <laughs> accent. Do you, do you allow me to keep doing that, I hope? Sure. Not going to throw daggers at me? No. All right. But it's properly pronounced Wagamuth. Yes. Okay. Wagamuth. Much better. Okay. Welcome back. Holly, <sighs> tell me this. What made you want to be an interior designer? You know... I'm not really sure when it started, but I showed horses when I was 10. I started wearing makeup and playing with colors and playing with makeup and doing makeup on other people. Okay. Then I became really interested in fashion and color, and then I started becoming interested in furniture and doing my own bedroom and mixing and matching. So I, when I was in college, I just naturally started taking interior design classes. And you kind of developed from there. So yeah. you had a predisposition towards it. Right. And then you actually latched on. Mm -hmm. You brought up color. I was going to ask you this as my quick question, but what is your least favorite color? Oh, that's so hard. Hmm. I would say, and it's not that I hate, it's not that I don't like it, but probably brown. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. That's, I can go with that, too. That would have been my answer. So brown is everyone's least favorite color. Oh, really? I well, don't know. The, the outcome of two here. primaries here. make a schmud. You know, it's 
Kind of muddy. Yeah, you kind of figure that out on the color wheel back in the uh, you know early art days. You're right. Like, oh, what happened if I put this together? Oh, brown again. It's <laughs> <laughs> very true. I had a lot of brown paintings as a kid. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It is. That's that's exactly what it is. It's it's basically the failure of an effort to make a better color. <laughs> Two primaries don't make a positive. Yeah. All right. Um, so, all right. So we don't like brown. But let us talk more about your design practice now that we know. But brown has its role, by the way. We should say. Oh, for brown sure. Brown is a solid basis color. And, of course, still the most popular color for sofas in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it's got to mean something other than... Can't can polish a turd, Greg. Can't <laughs> polish a turd. I knew you were going to come up with that. Story. You're welcome. <laughs> now, your practice as an interior designer is not strictly related to selecting furnishings, correct? Correct. You also offer consultative services uh, on a larger scale. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, my favorite projects are new construction. Okay. I love just starting from, you know, just from ground up. Mm-hmm. And then finishing with the furniture. Mm-hmm. Um, I love dealing with the tile and the countertops and the marbles and the, um, just every aspect of it. And I like that you can start and develop a palette and everything just flows. Mm-hmm. Whereas sometimes if you're going into a house, you're working around things. Mm-hmm. Typically, with new construction, you don't have to work around anything, which makes it really fun and new and fresh. It's a blank canvas that right. you, can, you can create things with. So when you're working with a client, so they are working with a builder, for mm-hmm. example, and then they, you come into the, the, the project as the design aspect, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, what types of, of questions do you ask of the client in order to try to figure out what direction they're going to want you to go? Um, there's a few things. And... The good thing is if somebody brings a designer in soon enough, you can actually work with the architect to incorporate everything that they need into the space. And some things the architect might not think of, like depending on, like I've worked with a lot of architects that don't have kids or, you know, depending on the age and where the architect in his life or her, sometimes they don't think about everything that needs to be incorporated. So what I like to do is find out how they want to live. Do you want a separate formal dining room is like a big, huge one because then you know if the architect needs to have that space or do you just want a big table in your kitchen? I mean, it's just really how do they see themselves using spaces? Do you see having a second bathroom with a tub and a shower. Some people now just only want a shower. I mean, it's just all those kind of questions. Mm-hmm. It's a great point. I mean, mm-hmm. architects are, you know, have a specific skill set, and it's generally associated with the best use of space kind of in a void. Mm-hmm. They don't think about how people – I mean, designers, time and again, I've had this conversation uh, – they have to come in and figure out how to work around an architect's mistakes. What an architect considered to be an efficient layout and an efficient design is not a practical layout. One hundred percent. Like working as a contractor, like it never works out the way it does on paper. Like the architect has this grand design, even with restaurant spaces, mm-hmm. they'll they'll have this idea on paper, and then when you implement it and you actually go into the space and you have to be the person making real changes and adjustments, it's never never what you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. It's always different. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. And designers, again, are accustomed to an architect, you know, does a plan, puts it on paper, it gets built out, walks away, never looks back. Designers are the ones who have fallout to deal with when it's not properly arranged. And even things like, do you get involved in things like, you know, like uh, electrical outlet placement? Um, One of the the issues that 
astonishes me that people don't pay enough attention to is where you plug the stuff in Mm -hmm. and the fact that you're going to want to have a sofa on one side of the room, you're going to have a TV and, you know, musical equipment on another, and you need to make sure that you don't have wires running all over the place because that's going to be a distraction. Right. And if they want a floor outlet and, you know, the big thing now is in master bathrooms do you want a drawer with your blow dryer and a flat iron and do you want everything just that incorporated and then you need to figure out where you want the plugins and where you want the outlets if you want them inside drawers and then you want them you know backsplashes do you want it up under the cabinet so you don't see them depending on what especially now that everybody's doing all the slab backsplashes you don't really want an outlet in the middle of a slab so it's all that stuff that you really need to take into consideration very early and it's a consultative process too because you know there's certainly codes you can only have you know you need to have an outlet you know a certain distance from any water intake but then simultaneously you have to realize that, you know, if you're talking about a kitchen, you've also probably got your mix master, your KitchenAid, your Cuisinart, and you're not going to want that thing smack dab in the middle. Mm-hmm. So you've got to kind of address it from that perspective because chances are an architect's going to take a look at it and say, well, every, you know, 36 inches works for me. Yeah. Because you know, they like math. Well, and furniture plans are huge. There's so many architects that they'll put windows, well, especially in master bedrooms, I'm running into this now where there's no, there's windows in the way. Like there'll either be one window on the only bed wall Mm -hmm. instead of having like two separated. So the bed's in front of the window. Mm -hmm. I mean, that type of stuff, you really have to look at what size bed you have and where your bed wall is and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Another key aspect. I mean, I remember when my wife and I built our house uh, um, eight, 10 years ago uh, at this point, yeah, I guess like 10 years ago, we built a, a build-out, uh, uh, which was presuming we had a king-size bed. Mm-hmm. And it never crossed our minds. But we don't like king-size beds. We have a queen-size bed. Mm-hmm. A king-size bed, I might as well sleep alone. Um, or with a dog. Or with a dog. But, uh, you know, so now when we put our bed against it, then you've got your nightstands kind of flailing out on the far side, and it creates enormous incongruity. Mm-hmm. And had I known then what I know now, we never would have done it. You might need some trees or something in the corners. <laughs> we did find an awesome solution, actually, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless. Mm-hmm. All right, we need to take another quick break. Uh, go refill your cocktail, pour have a, a shot of vodka if you prefer, <laughs> and then meet us back here in just a moment. This is Drinking the Style on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Thought the show was just all right, same old Saturday night. I made the usual stop. This is Gregory Rich, founder of Habitation Furnishing and Design and host of Drink in the Style every Sunday at 5 p.m. You know, I'm often asked what kind of furniture Habitation offers. Now, I can go two ways with this. I can say something like, Habitation specializes in warm, modern, raw, industrial, and organic contemporary home furnishings. But what does that mean? It means that we have some really cool stuff, and that is the answer that usually goes over better. But cool doesn't mean crazy. And I'm proud to say that everything we offer at Habitation is functional and comfortable. The type of furniture that will allow you to express yourself, but still works every day. So there it is, Habitation Furnishing and Design, 4317 Excelsior Boulevard in St. Louis Park. It's the Twin Cities' best furniture and design showroom. Bubbles, bangles, 
Jing, jingling baubles, bangles, bright shiny beads, sparkles, spangles. Welcome back to Drink in the Style, Sundays at 5 p.m. right here on AM 950 in Minneapolis and available as a podcast or a stream. Hit us up on iTunes. And if you do, give us a five-star rating. And if you don't think we're worth five stars, don't say anything at all. (laughs) Uh, We are speaking with Holly Wagemut from Design by Holly. I'm sorry, Interiors by Holly. Welcome, and thank you for being with us. We're also drinking pretty much straight vodka that we're pretending is a martini. (laughs) (laughs) It's a martini, Greg. It's in a martini glass, but it's not a martini. That's that's debatable. It's a... I can't call it a Minnesota martini. Do you know what a Minnesota martini is? No. It's a uh, McGolden with olives. Mc- <laughs> that's that's, that's called nasty. a Minnesota martini. Hey, people love that salinity. So I can't call this a Minnesota martini, but it is, it's a Midwest martini. All right. So no vermouth. Bottom line is Midwesterners, they have no time for that 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 trifling vermouth. They don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is too bad because vermouth has its place. I don't like a lot of vermouth. I like a dry martini. Tiny bit. I once got into an argument with uh, an individual at the East Street Social who used to manage it, whose name we won't mention, but I'm sure you know him. Of course I know him. He's very tall. Yes. Yes. And they, I saw him yesterday. <laughs> they brought out a martini. My wife and I ordered a martini, and it was – we ordered it dry, and it came out, and it was like unbelievable vermouth. It was it – was, it tasted to me like vermouth with a little bit of gin in it. Mm-hmm. So I called him over and uh, we actually – we ordered two other drinks. We didn't even ask for a refund or anything like that. We're like, this is what it is, whatever. We just don't like the way they make the martinis. Came over. He asked what they were like. And I said, you know, it was just – it's way too much vermouth. It's just absurd. And he said, well, traditionally a uh, martini is two-thirds uh, gin and one-third vermouth. And I said, no, no, I'm sorry. My opinion, that is way too much vermouth for a martini, especially if you ask for a dry martini. And he uh, dug his heels in on it and refused to uh, to, to give. So we, we canceled our order, paid our bill, and left. Yeah, he had that effect on people. That's why he's no longer with them. Yeah, we never went back to the street social. Yeah, he had that effect on a lot of people, actually. <laughs> That was terrible. Anyway, back to interior design and not dissing people. Uh, we you're not, you're not the verse of the last, man. Yeah, he's a whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Holly, let's talk about interior design and something that you brought up while we were talking earlier, which is a theme that we've discussed before, but you cannot talk about enough, and that is the interrelatedness of a successful interior design plan. The fact is that if someone who is not in the design business is putting together a room, they are selecting pieces based on the value they perceive in each individual piece, be it aesthetic or financial, doesn't matter. I like this chair. I want this chair in the room. I like this sofa. I want this sofa in the room. But you look at things very differently as a professional, do you not? Yes. How do you approach that uh, type of design project? So I like to start with the things in the room that are not getting, that are permanent. So, and it's funny because typically somebody's taste is pretty um, consistent. Mm -hmm. So if you choose um, like a cabinet style, it will probably mesh with the trim that you pick or Mm -hmm. the crown or the base. But 
everything needs to be looked at together. Mm-hmm. So like recently I had a client, and this was a remodel, so it wasn't exactly the same as when you're choosing everything all at once. So they had a they had a base, and they decided that the base wasn't right in the room with all their furniture and with the style, which and they were right. Mm-hmm. But we had chosen cabinet style and everything kind of to work around the base. So we had to relook at all these different aspects, which they weren't aware of. Mm-hmm. And same with I'm doing another remodel, and again, we're working around things. But people tend to text me things. Like they'll text me, "Does this? How's, do you like this door style or this door style and this color? Well, not realizing that the color doesn't look correct on a phone. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to just choose a door style without looking at the trim that they have in the room. It all needs to blend. Mm-hmm. So it's that type of thing. It's just better to choose your whole palette and the doors and the trim and all the millwork, everything all at once. Even if you can do drapery fabric. I mean, I if you look at a lot of the parade homes, um, you know, there's layer upon layer upon layer that you can do. And it all depends on your budget. But you can actually integrate your window treatments so that they're behind, like, maybe a small soffit or they're built into the space. So it's just all the different layers, and it just depends on what you want to integrate. But everything really needs to be chosen at the same time. Fabrics along with um, carpets, along with wood flooring color, along with um, the furniture and the lighting. It's it's absolutely true. And, you know, there's a lot to unpack in what you've said right there. But, you know, the the most important thing or or the the starting point that we'll start with with there is the consistency of color and the realization that – the color that you see sometimes if you're looking at on your computer, if you're scrolling through Instagram or house or something like that. And by the way, you, you do great work on house. You've got a great yes. house uh, presence. And you were a house designer of note since every year since like 2015. Did I see that? Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. I haven't – I'm not good at upgrade. I mean I haven't – updated any of my photos, which I'm not good at at all, but... I'm the same way. Folks who've gone to drinkinthestyle.com realize that the most recent show, I think, is from August. Uh, <laughs> I've updated. The recipes are coming, I swear to God. <laughs> I'm going to do it this week, I promise, except I won't. Um, but but if you look at that type of a thing, first of all, you can't make decisions based on digital resources. Mm-hmm. Unless you are in a, a professional environment where you're sure you have the screen properly toned or tuned, but even so, an image that a supplier is putting out may or may not be reflective of the actual color regardless. So mm-hmm. you have to start with the, the, that aspect, right? Right. Okay. Second thing is when you start to pick apart different parts of a project and you say, suddenly, I see this particular chair that I really love. Can we swap it out for the chair that you had originally scoped? You're losing the cohesiveness of the entire program, right? Sometimes. I mean, it depends on the object, but sometimes. Mm -hmm. But if you are doing an entire program, if you're doing an entire project, and a project can be broken up over time, right? I mean, you don't have to buy the entire living room, for example, in one sitting, bring out your checkbook or your credit card and buy everything. You may want to pick particular pieces and implement in stages, but you should select all those pieces in one kind of batch is what you're saying. Right. And if somebody wants to swap something out, great, but it probably needs to stay the same scale. 
again, another incredibly important aspect. I mean, things scale, I mean, seating height, for mm-hmm. example. How many times have you run across a problem where you have completely irregular seating heights? Right. And same and coffee tables need to be people need to look at the heights along with their seating. So, and I don't think that everybody thinks about that and then they'll have something delivered and and they realize looks like a table. I mean, you know, something mm-hmm. you could eat off of rather than something that's like you can put your feet on. Seriously, 100%. And and again, why would you? Because, you know, we all have our own expertise areas. I mean, you know, you wouldn't sit down with an accountant and tell them how to run a, you know, balance sheet necessarily. But people don't realize that as a designer, there are even more variables. In fact, quite honestly, design is something of an art. But within, like any other art, there are certain rules that you have to adhere to in order to make it work. Otherwise, it's a mess. Right. It's uh, So <laughs> we talk about the, uh, the, uh, the cocktail table aspect, and that is like one of the biggest pitfalls for people, is it not? Mm-hmm. The failure to understand that you need to have the appropriate height. And unlike dining tables, and even in dining tables and dining chairs, there's a lot of variation between seating height and, and, uh, and table height that you have to be cognizant of, but even more so in, dine- in uh, cocktail tables. Right. If you go in, we, <laughs> we had this one setup actually at a model apartment that we had done, and I remember we wound up bringing in a cocktail table that the, uh, the property manager just insisted on. They had stopped into the showroom, and they fell in love with this particular cocktail table, and they kind of strong-armed us into replacing it. And it worked out fine because it was a model apartment and nobody really pays attention to that type of thing. But when you did sit down in it, it was the, the seat was like literally like six inches below the cocktail table. You were at like a reverse incline, <laughs> which was was nuts. Yeah. You almost want to set it up with like plates and stuff so you can like Ser- eat off of it. <laughs> Seriously. But uh, that's awesome. So, all right. So the holistic d- design is critical from both a color and a seating perspective, something that you look at very carefully. When you are doing a design with a new build, and let's go back to that for a second or two, what do you see as trends in this in this space? Are you is the open floor plan still something that uh, people are embracing? You know, it depends on where you are. Okay. Um, country Club Edina, mm-hmm. people are still doing separate dining rooms and doing a formal dining room, mm-hmm. but they'll have a big table incorporated in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So they can kind of do both. Um, if you go out further, everyone just want like Lake Minnetonka, one dining room. And it's just off your kitchen and it's big. So it kind of still depends on the style. Interesting. I mean, is open concept still a thing? Yeah. Okay. So you're saying, so you're saying Edina, all right, I love this. Let's talk about Edina versus Lake Minnetonka. <laughs> These are my two worlds at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Edina is more segmented, you're saying, in terms of floor plan? Well, I think it's. If you're staying true to the homes in the neighborhoods, mm-hmm. people seem to want, and the way that people entertain, um, people still are asking for that. Mm-hmm. At least my clients are still asking for that. And again, if you're staying true to the neighborhood and staying true to kind of the older Edina traditional colonial, mm-hmm. then it fits. So even as a new build, if you're building within the kind of the environment that is a dyna, the mm-hmm. houses of that would lend itself to a more traditional segmented floor plan. If the house, if the um, setbacks and everything allow for that, mm-hmm. yes. 
And not always, but I think for the most part. Interesting. And the good people of Lake Minnetonka area. More farmhouse, kind of more... And open spaces, because um, yeah. it's on the lake, and the lake is about openness and airiness. Well, and you want a view from the lake from everywhere. So you want to be able to see the lake from every single room, and you want a panoramic view because it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That makes all the sense in the world. Do you think, I mean, so do you think it's a personality thing? Do you think certain people who are inclined towards that type of an environment tend to gravitate towards the lakes, and people who are more segmented tend to gravitate towards Edina? Careful, Holly. I know, right? He's baiting you, He's it, baiting you right now. So if you eat cake, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, no, I just think it's like old traditional and, you know, there's people that are from Edina too that never leave Edina. Mm-hmm. And they were born and raised and grew up and... Um, although I do know some people that move from Edina to the lake, so. It, yet rarely does it go backwards. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Because, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. All right, that'll be segment four maybe is psychological dissection of Edina <laughs> and Minnetonka residents. Why, no. would, why would you leave Lake Livin'? Uh, that's a good question. All right, we're going to take one more break. When we come back, we're going to wrap it up with Holly Vagamut. Uh, stick with us right here on Drink in the Style. Same old Saturday night. Did you know that Habitation Furnishing and Design has the area's largest selection of Noir and CFC furniture? Are you familiar with them? I once had a customer describe Noir as a cross between restoration hardware and Beetlejuice. I love that. And CFC, bench-made furniture out of the heart of California, is definitionally cool. In any event, check out the lines at NoirFurnitureLA.com and then swing into the store and check them out in person. Habitation Furnishing and Design, one mile east of Highway 100 on Excelsior Boulevard. Habitation Furnishing and Design is simply the best furniture design studio in the Twin Cities. What is a furniture design studio? It's a place where you'll find professional interior designers who are there to help you select the perfect furniture. A single sofa or an entire home. Our designers love making spaces exceptional. When you're shopping for furniture, it makes sense to talk to a professional. Habitation Furnishing and Design, 4317 Excelsior Boulevard in St. Louis Park. Welcome back to Drink in the Style on AM 950. We have been speaking with Holly Walgamuth. See, I didn't even say it as a German, and I pronounced it correctly? Walgamuth. Yeah, you did. No, oh, thank you. Excellent. Uh, and enjoying basically just straight vodka that we're pretending is a martini, uh, courtesy of Dan Newkirk. Shut up, Greg. <laughs> The vodka's doing its work. (laughs) It's doing the Lord's work. (laughs) This has been a fun show. We've talked about interior design. We've gone into aspects from color to holistic design to modern floor plans. Holly, you've provided a great deal of information that we greatly appreciate. Tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and how they can contact you and what have you. Um, I have a website, interiorsbyholly.com. I'm an Instagram and house. Okay. Interiorsbyholly.com. H-O-L-L-Y. Yes. 
Because I originally, I have to admit, when I was writing the program plan, I spelled it H-O-L-L-I-E, and I had to go back and replace everything before I remembered how on a Mac you can change things more easily. So H-O-L-L-Y, interiorsbyholly.com, and you do have a great Instagram collection of, of photos as well. So check that out. How about you, Mr. Newkirk? Do you want to do a plug for Mill Valley or Mercy or Benedict's? So coming up at, uh, at, at Mercy downstairs in the library bar, we're going to be hosting... Uh, not to be confused with the uh, trademarked by Papa John's Taco Tuesday or LeBron James and his Taco Tuesday. We're doing Taco Takeover Tuesday. Yeah, <laughs> much much, much different and super classy. <laughs> uh, our, our head chef, uh, Gustavo Romero, who was once formerly with us at Marin, uh, has gone around the uh, the country. He's been down in Mexico, and he just did a four-month pop-up with Travail in the last, uh, last quarter. Um, bad man. Uh, authenticity, uh, passion, food, and we'll be pairing some pretty gnarly cocktails with it. Uh, starting uh, next Tuesday, the Tuesday before Halloween, and then every Tuesday thereafter at the, in the library bar. And we also have some music pieces coming with it too, along with a baby grand piano that should be getting delivered pretty soon. Uh, we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get pretty classy. Nice. Yeah, we're, you got I'm, baby I'm, grand coming into the library. Yeah, but Perfect. we we got pimped out though. So it's from from Abby's um, Abby is the chef chef owner part owner of the the business. Mm-hmm. Her mom is a socialite out in Alexandria. Abby Mike's wife, by yeah. the way, I believe is her formal title on the on the card. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, we were actually been pimped out to a do a dinner party for her at her estate. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm for sale apparently. <laughs> but uh, we're we're actually looking to do like some some different things. But on Wednesdays we're starting a, a cabaret. There, there's there's twelve different um, twelve different drag shows in the Twin Cities. We're not gonna do that at all. We're we're gonna we're setting up like Liza Minnelli, like uh, Liberace style cabaret coming up soon. So stay tuned for those details. Really? It's gonna be cool. Really? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I love it. Stay tuned to Drink in the Style to learn more about that. Please just promise me that I don't have to look at you splailed out on the baby grand. No promises. <laughs> and I'll, ma- I'll make that noise if you do get to see it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right. Well, that's stuff to look forward to on every level. Holly, let's talk more about interior design while I desperately try to get the vision of Dan splailed out on a baby grand out of my head. Here's a question I ask often of interior designers. All right. Think about the projects you've done over the past 12 months, over the past year. Pick a particular piece, something that stands out that you've placed in someone's home. What is that piece, and what is it about that piece that speaks to you? There's a rug that I placed in a client's home. It looks like graffiti. It's got letters on it. It's got splashes of color. It's navy and yellow and red and pink, and it just completely transformed the room. Oh, I'm intrigued by that. The rug is graffitied, and and, and do, do you happen to know who it came from? Um, well, I purchased it at Woven Arts. Okay. Um, I've also seen it later. I don't know if I should say this, but it, I've okay. seen it on Stark's website. Okay. So I didn't realize it was – I'm not sure how that works. But, um, yeah, it's it's an amazing piece, and it – it was it was funny because the client at first she wanted to kind of piecemeal because things are expensive and she had just bought a room for a, full of furniture that she wanted to go really high end on because she was from Denmark and she wanted some Danish furniture so she bought some um, Poltronafrau pieces. Okay. Um, 
and then decided she wanted a rug from Wayfair, so she bought a really neutral rug. <laughs> mm-hmm. And every and it was fine. I mean, the room looked really nice. And then she finally said, "You're right. I think I need a rug." And we went and picked out this rug and had them bring it, and it was like amazing. I mean, it looks. It's so di- like a rug, just so adding some color, and then we kind of we did some pillows that, um, that were really complementary with the rug, and the room just went. It just was brought to life. Holly, can you can you please say Wayfair one more time? No. Wayfair. Yeah, there it is. The, the snide <laughs> chuckle that came out of him. Well, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> Back to the rug. <laughs> so the rug really pulled the room together. Yeah. We got to do the big Lebowski. Comment on that, but rugs are critically important. They, right. they really are. Um, it, all right, let's let's talk more about rugs in general because I have a question because there are different theories on this mm-hmm. positions. Uh, must a rug extend past the furnishings, or is it okay to be within the furnishings? In other words, a five by eight or an eight by ten, you got to go one or the other. So either the furniture is all on, mm-hmm. or and it, it, kind of, it really kind of depends on the room and the pieces that are in there. I mean, I don't think there's a standard answer, but it needs to either be all on or just the front pieces need to be on. Mm-hmm. So basically the front of the sofa, but then it needs to be the same throughout mm-hmm. pretty much. Or sometimes it's okay if it's just sitting in the area in front of everything. It's about the scale and the way things are laid out, correct? Right. And if the room is definitely going to look bigger with a bigger rug. Yes. Thank you. Actually, that's critical, right? Because mm-hmm. the traditional conventional wisdom is always smaller pieces will make a room look bigger. And in fact, that is not the case. Often it is not the case, and especially with rugs. If you have a tiny little rug in a large space, it's actually going to make everything look smaller, will it not? Right. I mean, mm. same with wallpaper, tile. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the bigger <clears throat> patterns make the rooms look bigger, and you would think the opposite. You would. And color. Like, you can, if you have white trim, especially in a bathroom, and you do a really dark wallpaper, it can mm-hmm. make the room look big, depending on the other, th- you know, what else is in the room. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And the rug aspect, the rugs are especially tough, though, because for whatever reason, and I don't know the answer to this. Maybe you do. And you think I would, given that, you know. A furniture store, but um, the the price of a rug increases dramatically when you go from like the almost throwaway five by eight uh, variation. And it's never actually five by eight because rugs are always made in places that use the metric system. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everyone other than us in Liberia use. Um, but it, the price shoots up dramatically when you go from a five by eight to what would be the equivalent of an eight by ten, and that dissuades a lot of people from making that large investment because it's an easy way to save a few dollars. Right. But it really has so much impact, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's price per square foot. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if you're going to double the square footage, the rug price has to double. That's a good point. Although it doesn't quite. It's not always by square foot. If you're having something custom done, it will. But if you're, like, working with, like, a Laloy rug company or something like that, for whatever reason, they never price by the square foot. And if you ever actually run the numbers on it, it's a substantial increase. I need to take take some of my Laloy reps to task on this. I've never thought about it before. Oh, yeah, because you would think it would, even even if it's a retail rug, it's Mm -hmm. still, you would think they would have a price per square foot that they were following and integrating into the into the total price. You would think, wouldn't you? But yeah. they don't. It goes up dramatically. I don't know why that is. 
but it's true. But it doesn't matter because the fact is that a rug is a critical part of any kind of interior design project. And it is something that you're going to immediately be drawn to and you can't skimp on the rug, right? Yeah, right. What do you think about rugs on rugs? Rugs on on, on carpet, I guess. Some of it I like. I mean, I love it when you throw a hide down Mm -hmm. because it's irregular. So Mm -hmm. when you throw that on like a jute rug... Or on something that's more solid and maybe a flat weave. It can be really cool. Um, I do it sometimes in bedrooms. If the carpet's really plush and you want another layer, you can do it kind of under the bed. Hmm. Um, That's a great idea. So it depends on the rug. I mean, it it just depends on the bottom rug and if it needs something else. And if it makes more sense to add something rather than take it away and then... Something new. So rugs on rugs on rugs has been approved. <laughs> Sometimes it's all about layers. <laughs> Sounds like Doctor Seuss. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's uh, it's it. It's, it's something that, you know, is a pet peeve of mine, the realization that, you know, the rug forms the basis of what your eye lands on. It's the foundation. Mm-hmm. You cannot build a great edifice without a solid foundation. Can I get a here, here, Brett? Sure. Best of show right there, yes. <laughs> Don't we have a quote coming up? We do have a quote coming up. This has been uh, this has been absolutely fabulous. We've gotten all the details on rugs, on surfaces. Holly, thank you so much for being on Drinking the Style because you have been an absolutely phenomenal guest. And again, I think you've made a great point about the importance of working with a professional designer on a project because it's not about picking individual pieces. It's about understanding that everything is interrelated. Is it not? It is. Awesome. All right. Well, there it is, my friends. We have drunk our way through yet another episode of Drink in the Style. On behalf of Habitation Furnishing and Design, Holly Wagamut. <laughs> I like it. Holly Wagamut uh, from uh, Interiors by Holly. Dan Newkirk from Mercy, Benedict's, Mill Valley Kitchen. I'd like to wish everybody good luck this coming week and... To quote, oh wait, I have a good quote. I'm really excited about this one. Hold on. Uh, To quote the incomparable Zig Ziglar, expect the best, prepare for the worst, capitalize on what actually happens. Good night, everybody.